Town Hall Academy, episode 68. Uh, Chris, you were the one that was talking about those core principles and those things. You, you need to know those things so you can interpret that just-in-time information and act on it properly. So I have this fear that this phrase is liable to be picked up and used as an excuse for procrastinating on, on real foundational principle-based training. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hello and welcome. So glad to have you here on the Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy, the only weekly forum for aftermarket professionals that bring fresh and innovative discussion to inspire and grow individuals and companies. You're here in episode 68 on why just-in-time learning is bad for business. You're in for some very profound thoughts on your commitment to core fundamental training. Carm Capriato here thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for their support of the Town Hall Academy. At Jasper Engines and Transmissions, quality and customer service is their number one goal. Their associates take pride in their work, and it shows in the quality drivetrain products they produce. Their quality and customer service has kept them growing for 76 years. Select Town Hall Academy episodes now allow you to earn AMI elective credit toward your AMI accreditations. Find out more at remarkableresults.biz slash AMI. Hey, have you seriously looked at the Academy archives? Well, I highly recommend you to go to remarkableresults.biz slash Academy. You'll find all Academy episodes listed. However, I want you to look at the range of topics we tackle and the breadth of insights, ideas, and trends we give you each week. There's no other resource like this in the aftermarket. This audio-video forum brings opinion and experience from the panel that can help you decide on a pathway for your own improvement and change. Yes, being a perpetual student, or as many say, a lifelong learner, is the only way to find success. I'm so glad I can bring you this resource. Now with me on today's Academy is Donnie Seifer, Executive Officer of NASDAF and co-owner of Seifer Automotive. Chris Chesney is here, Senior Director of Customer Training, CarQuest Institute, and NASDAF Board Member. Also, Mark Saxenberg, Principal at Saxenberg Consulting Services and NASDAF Chairman. He's the founding father of the Road to Great Technicians and a huge proponent of being service-ready. Bill Haas from Haas Performance Training and the business manager of NACAT. And also with us is Jeff PV, AMAM president of Automotive Management Institute. Listen to the impact that core fundamental training will have on your business and career. This power panel has the expertise and experience to give you a blueprint on your training strategy. From the road to great technicians to the real world problem of just in time learning, you can't expect to make any money when you're learning in the service bay. Yet, there are many instances when you have to learn in the service bay because many of the problems you come across, you've never seen before. And that is where core competencies come in. And the panel says, do not use just-in-time learning as an excuse not to have structured education. We talk structured training and triage, along with service support resources and the importance of the service advisor as a critical component of getting the job done right the first time so much packed into this interview that you'll need to listen a few times. If you want the top talking points, go to remarkableresults.biz slash A068 and also find additional bio information in previous episodes from my guests. Now listen to the Town Hall Academy, Why Just-In-Time Learning is Bad for Business with Donnie Seifer, Mark Saxenberg, Chris Chesney, Jeff Peavy, and Bill Haas. I'm in the studio at Vision with Donnie and this NASDAF panel. Chris, you were on that with Jill Saunders. And Donnie, Donnie drops this little bomb <laughs> about uh, just-in-time training is bad for business. And I wrote it down. And I'm, I'm, I got through my notes, you know, about a month later. And I said, Donnie, I wrote this down. <laughs> is this worthy of having a discussion about? And he said, sure it is. I want to really have, have you lead this off. You have said that if you're not learning everything in the Bay, you're not making any money. What do you mean by that? My point there was that if you're waiting till the car shows up to learn everything, you're in trouble. Um, and, and of course, uh, my my friend and mentor, actually, these, these are all my mentors here, but my friend and mentor, Mr. Saxenberg, um, will expand on that quite a bit. So um, so I don't really want to go too far with that. But, but that was the whole idea is that 
you can't learn at the last minute and expect to make any money in this business. Got it. I understand. Um, Mark, you have said uh, we have to distinguish between just-in-time learning and just-in-time service support resources. Let's jump in. You want to know what that means, huh? Uh-huh. Well, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of service readiness, and uh, some of you may have heard me speak on that subject over the years. Um, but as we all know, cars are really complicated, and... Um, they're not getting less so, and uh, there are just so many makes and models and permutations of models that uh, it's impossible to know everything you need to know uh, when a car rolls into the service bay. While you need the fundamentals, and, and Donnie's absolutely right that you can't expect to make any money when you're learning in the service bay, you also can't help but have to learn in the service bay uh, because many of the you know, problems that roll in your door you've never seen before. Um, and therefore, uh, I, I like to think of, uh, you know, just-in-time learning is uh, something, it, it just has to happen. Uh, like it or not, it's got to happen. You can do everything you possibly want to do to uh, understand the fundamentals and still be challenged every day. Chris, take a stab at just-in-time learning training. Uh, I think from the standpoint of the, the Mark brings up, you can't know everything. Um, you can't uh, know every strategy or system iteration that even one manufacturer brings to the market. Use Toyota, for example, since Mark's on on the call and, and I was a Toyota master tech. It, it's, it's easy to think that a dealer tech can understand their models intimately and well enough to be able to approach them with, with uh, just-in-time training because they know how to access the information, they know how to work the tool, they know where to find the data and the, and the information they need uh, at a moment's notice. And, and that's true to a certain extent, but what we see in the aftermarket is a, a true lack of core competencies with respect to foundation skills, electronics, just the the foundation uh, physics and chemistry that need to be understood so that they can interpret the information that they're reading from the OEM uh, just in time as you're working on the vehicle. So uh, when we're talking about just-in-time training, I need I want to define it uh, more clearly, and Mark has defined it as just-in-time training or just-in-time resources. You have to have those core skills to be able to interpret the resources in front of you so you can apply them appropriately. And, and the, the real critical nature of all of this comes from the standpoint of you can't afford as a shop owner to spend your customer's time learning about core competencies on their, on their back. It's not fair to the consumer. It's not fair to the motorist. So understanding how to diagnose a data network system long before, no matter what level of CAN uh, or LIN or uh, uh, any other protocol that we're talking about needs to be well understood before you approach that vehicle so that when you look the service information up for that vehicle while the car is in the bay and you're learning the idiosyncrasies of that particular model, you are effective. Otherwise, you're learning what LIN stands for and you're trying to figure out why you can't communicate uh, to that network with the scan tool that you bought 10 years ago and you haven't updated in the meantime, uh, learning on the back of a consumer in that way is not effective. Mm. Jeff, take a stab at it. Well, I actually, you know, I've, I've shared this with you probably more than once. Um, the, the term, the buzz phrase, just in time, you know, and I've, I've mentioned this before really comes from the manufacturing. That term comes from the manufacturing, um, uh, industry. But here's, here's my, as, as an educator, I guess, and I'll use that term loosely when I describe myself. Um, but, but I have a concern. It, it could easily, this phrase, just in time learning or just in time training could be misinterpreted and picked up by our industry as, well, we don't go to training events anymore. We're, we're participating in just in time learning. And I, I fear that that could 
create this learning in the bay as we go kind of concept. I, I, uh, I would stress that we need to almost always have a disclaimer anytime we use that, that that's, that that's uh, what it means. I, I always have a fear that uh, anything we do, uh, the industry often is looking for a way to say, oh, so we don't have to go educate ourselves uh, anymore. I do believe that we need to consistently uh, approach the need for real structured education uh, I think, uh, Chris, you were the one that was talking about, um, you know, those core principles and those things. You, you need to know those things so you can interpret that just-in-time information and act on it properly. So I, I just I, I have this fear that uh, it's liable to – this phrase is liable to be picked up and used as an excuse for procrastinating on, on real foundational principle-based training. And I want to go to Bill Haas now that we'll break the ice with all of you. Bill, what Jeff just said was so interesting. I'm sorry, what Chris, Mark, Donnie, and Jeff have have all said. Now, from a business coach's perspective, uh, are we wasting time in the bays doing JIT? And it's really affecting the profitability of the company. I mean, there's it's almost like it's okay to do this, but they don't realize how it's really hurting the economics of the business. Well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, and I think people miss that from the standpoint of managing their business and managing their time and knowing what time is available and assigning the appropriate talent to the, to the job. And I think we see that sometimes where we might take someone who doesn't have those core competencies or that knowledge base and put them in a position to do something because we think they can get the training on the job. And it's actually very frustrating for everybody. It's, it's very frustrating for the technician himself Number one, it's very frustrating for the business. And most importantly, it's very frustrating for the customer because the customer is in a position of starting to feel like maybe I didn't bring my car to the right place because this individual working on my car is really struggling to understand what my car problem is. And now I'm getting frustrated because I don't know if the right person's working on my car and what that does to the repair process in terms of how long it's going to take and when I'll get my car back and having confidence that when I do finally get my car back, if it's really going to be fixed or should that car have gone to another individual who had the knowledge to really take care of that car. So from a business standpoint, yeah, I think it, it really is a big deal. Chris, you were on the show once, and um, you mentioned the word triage, and I think we were doing a, a town hall academy. It has so stuck with me ever since you had mentioned that. And I, when Bill was saying, give it to the right guy, I remember your comments about triage, and, and maybe it's been a, maybe a few months. Bring that up again, and it may, it may help crystallize some of this. Well, I think that the term triage is something that we can learn from the medical industry. We, we always want to align ourselves with them and make fun of that, that lack of true alignment, but giving the, the vehicle to the right person with the right skill set, at least the right core skill set so that they can apply uh, that to the information they need to research uh, during every job uh, is critical. Um, I go back to uh, some of the statements I've made recently with respect to the amount of time we spend educating our, our young people entering this industry compared to what we did 40 years ago. Uh, we spend the same amount of time today educating young technicians to come into the workplace with an expectation that's the same as 40 years ago, that you'll know everything you need to know to work on the vehicles that come into your bay. The problem is that we, as we try to keep up with that technology, we're falling further and further behind with those core skills because we don't have enough physical time in the classroom or in the lab to be able to transfer the knowledge that we need to, to give those young people to be able to be effective on today's technology. So you can't, you can't expect a young technician without those core skills and those great research skills, which are only gained through experience and application and making mistakes, but learning from each of those instances, uh, it, it only takes time. So triage gives us the ability to quickly identify where that vehicle should should go in the bay and, and who should work on it so that we put the right level of experience on that problem so that the consumer or the motorist is taken care of. But more importantly, so the shop owner can 
can reap a benefit or make a profit uh, as a businessman. Uh, anything short of that is uh, just throwing it to follow. If your customer has a vehicle they like, they shouldn't have to get rid of it because the engine, transmission, or differential failed. You know, because you and your customer know the vehicle maintenance, there's no reason they can't keep it on the road. Depreciation, license, insurance, interest, add them all up and they'll probably total more than it would cost to install a remanufactured product from Jasper Engines and Transmissions. Personal finances only go so far. Daily living expenses, college for the kids, and as we all hope, retirement. So before your customer rushes out to buy a new or a newer used vehicle because their engine or transmission has failed, contact Jasper and find out how a remanufactured product from Jasper Engines and Transmissions can extend the life of your customer's present vehicle for an amount much less than the higher expenses that come with a vehicle trade. Give their vehicle a new lease on life with Jasper. Donnie, Chris just said research skills, core skills. You've all mentioned core skills. Uh, it's Donnie, give, give me a view of what the shop needs to do today to manage all of that for their team. We cannot live in JIT. We can live in some of it, I believe you're all saying, but we can't live in it in a universal way. So how do we manage research skills? How do we train for that? How do we be sure that the resumes are built so that the core skills are being learned? So that's kind of the tricky part, right? Teaching teaching technicians how to actually find information and where do they need to look? How do they need to do that? I mean, I would say that Half the people on this, maybe all of the people on this this current panel have dealt with that for years. How do we show a tech how to do it? Bill and I have both gone out and done training specifically on how do you find information. And my experience is that a technician who knows how to find information can get away with a, a standard core set and look like a rocket scientist. And a really good tech who doesn't know how to do this stuff is just lost a lot of time. And that's, that's unfortunate. I know some technicians who are just not computer web browser savvy, don't know how to use their service information to its advantage. And simple things like if I can't find a piece of information in the third party or the OE software, how about just using search? And, and those sorts of things just amaze me that, that we still are contending with that. What Donnie is... Uh pointing out here is a, it, it's core skill. And uh, Carm, when you, uh, when you pose this, this question uh, to Donnie, um, you know, essentially you're, you're getting at one of the things that we're trying to, uh, we're trying to hit with the road to great technicians, which is how do you know that somebody you hire has the fundamental skills in the area that you want to, uh, you know, that you want to put them uh, to work doing. Um, and one of the most fundamental skills is how to use service information. And today, service information is not pulling a book off a shelf. It's, uh, it's going to a, a computer somewhere and uh, typically logging into a website and uh, knowing how to navigate the, the service support resources. And in many cases, it's not just researching the information for the task at hand. It's uh, also using a scan tool that oftentimes is connected to that same computer. So if you don't have that fundamental skill, then you probably ought to find another trade because that will increasingly become the most fundamental skill that any any technician needs. Um, but, but I'd like to to kind of transition for a moment to just-in-time training because uh, I, I spent a, a very large part of my career developing service support systems, uh, in, including web-based service informations and service information and, uh, and essentially PC-based scan tools. And having come out of this industry uh, fixing cars at the beginning of my career, I, I know what a challenge it is to get the right information at the right time. And nowadays, uh, what a challenge it is to, to get all of the different disparate pieces of information that you need all queued up at the same time. 
Uh, and one of the things that we tried to do at, at Toyota years ago was to take a lot of the navigation to all of these different resources and, and build it into the tool, build it, build it into the service information system. So as an example, if, uh, if you need to diagnose a, 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 a diagnostic trouble code, uh, and it, it shows up on your scan tool, the idea was to queue up the service information associated with that DTC and any other information that you might need to troubleshoot that DTC. So as a user, all you got to do is, uh, you know, click a link, you got the service information, click a link, you got a training video, click a link, you've got the, the whole training course. And if you take just-in-time training to a, a logical conclusion, in my mind, uh, one of the things you get is a how-to video. It's, uh, you know, it's a minute or two long uh, because you can't have done every task that you have to do for every car that rolls in the door. And, and if you're getting repeat tasks over and over again, you're, you're lucky if you're a diagnostician. You're describing a, you're describing a support tool to me. Yeah, exactly. This is a service support resource. Uh, you know, imagine you're a collision repair shop and, and you're, uh, you're, you're getting that, uh, uh, that Lexus SC, uh, you know, X, SC430 uh, convertible top that, that uh, you've got to align and adjust and you've never done it before. Uh, and you just got done doing all this body work on the car. And the first time you operate the thing, you, uh, you know, you, you damage the top because you didn't adjust it right. What if you uh, could queue up the information that uh, you need to adjust it properly and kind of follow that as you go through your repair? Uh, that's the just-in-time training that I think we do need. Um, and uh, I, I think that the industry move, needs to move in a direction of queuing up resources for technicians uh, to make it easy to, to get to them when they need them. Carm, I think that's a perfect uh, explanation of what just-in-time training was meant to be. Yeah. I think it's a, a perfect example of the intent of it, I think. But Jeff pointed out uh, earlier that uh, our communication to the field and to the aftermarket is, has been weak in uh, with respect to, and my lights went off because I'm in a motion detection <laughs> section of the building here, so I got to lean around and throw my shoulder out of joint to get it to turn back on. Uh, we as an industry have done a poor job of explaining what that means to the industry, and so we need to do a better job of that. And and so it it dawns on me that, uh, and Toyota is a perfect example because we're in the middle of of writing a new Toyota class for CTI. Uh, and at STX, uh, World Packs Supplier Training Expo, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, we delivered some new Toyota and Honda training. And, and all, of our, all of our manufacturers training that we're really focused on is really focused on how to leverage the, the, the support tools like TechStream and its integration with TIS. And, uh, for example, if you're working on a data network on a Toyota and you need a sample waveform, uh, to queue up so that you know what you're seeing on your PicoScope is accurate. It's all integrated in the TIS, but does every technician know that? And so the research skills need to be taught, but it needs to be taught in context with the tool that you're using. So you get into situations where I've got some great foundation uh, skills. I understand electronics intimately. I understand data networks to the point where I'm very productive, but now Toyota has thrown a new strategy in and they've served up content to me that I may not know exists. So I don't even know to go look for it. So part of the challenge for training providers like uh, CTI and WTI is to, to find those resources and expose them to the aftermarket so that those that have the foundation skills can apply them quickly just in time at the fender of the car in the way that Mark and his team intended it to be. I think the other thing that, that I'd like to touch on from Mark's example about the convertible top is the training that's really necessary is for the technician to know that they shouldn't be 
attempting to do that convertible top without knowledge of the tools and the resources that are required. Because what happens is by not knowing enough about the convertible top system at all, at a, at a very you know, rudimentary level, we're going to damage something and we're going to increase, we're going to incur some cost. We're going to incur some additional downtime. We're not going to be able to deliver that car to the customer when we expect to be. So it's not that the just-in-time training would be that they know how to do the convertible top. The more important piece is that they know not to do anything with the convertible top till they have the resources and the tooling available to have that knowledge that really becomes that resource that we're talking about. That's what I see as the real opportunity to improve the business process. And, and a, that would be service readiness. Yeah. Yeah. That's Correct. a good point. That, that they're educated enough to know what they don't know and that they need to go yes. get that information at that time. Yeah. And, and I think that applies to whether it's convertible tops or fuel systems or transmissions you can apply that across the board. This is where a well-run shop, you have a schedule, you know what to expect. And so when you see that car is coming in, I've never done that before. For me, the just-in-time piece is when I'm not under that gun to get something done, I can look at it, uh, you know, at night, log into the to a site. If I need to go to an OE site I'm not familiar with, spend a little time on it. And then when I show up at the shop, I've already got a pretty good handle on what's going to happen and what to expect. And I've seen all the bulletins and all the messages. And now I can actually do something where, you know, I'm not feeling like I'm under pressure to solve a problem in a way that maybe you could never do the second time. So you're doing some almost in-time training. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But I think there's a, I, I think there's another piece to that that's critically important. And that's that communication. It's, the, the customer calls, the car's on the schedule, and what happens in a lot of cases is the customer shows up with the car, and then it gets assigned to the tech, and the tech goes, haven't seen this before, this is brand new. That communication needs to happen beforehand where the advisor's talking to the team of technicians saying, hey, I've got something new coming in here You know, on Thursday or Friday. Let's talk about this. How are we going to be prepared for this car with this system coming in? That's something that's not happening in shops that really needs to happen. I wrote down the word anticipation as as you were just finishing, Bill, and it's almost like it needs to be part of the strategy in the company. Uh, you know, being able to lean over your skis and see see down the road and realize where those challenges can come inside the shop that are going to belabor your productivity, your efficiency, your promise time to your customers and attempt to create an almost just-in-time philosophy <laughs> in, in anticipating the workload or the challenge. You know, guys, you've almost defined exactly where, where the whole point of this is. And what I'd like to do is to be sure, you know, in the remaining time that we have, to, we, we need to put a bow on this. And I want people to listen to this and say, these are the things that I have to do to become better in all regards when it comes to training. There's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and it's the holistic approach. Let's talk about that. Yeah, this this discussion reminded me of a presentation I used to do years ago with a suitcase on a stage. And um, I would put, I would have it on a stand where the audience couldn't see the contents of the suitcase. And I would open it and put a $20 bill or $50 bill in it. And then I would invite someone in the audience, generally a technician, to come up and, you know, we, we made light of this, but it was oversimplification of a really important point. And that was you feel confident that you can open uh, the suitcase and remove the 20, 20 or $50 bill. And if you can, go ahead. And, and then right before they do that, I would stop them. And I would uh, tell them, though you may feel confident, are you confident of everything that's in that suitcase? Do you feel confident you know everything you need to do to R&R the $20 bill out of the suitcase? And so what they didn't know was there was a six-foot diamondback rattlesnake in that suitcase. Not a real one, but one that made a TSA agent uh, uh, make a – well, it was just – so that's for another story. But but what did happen was I had – I actually up on screen, just to make a point, is I had a – a prepared presentation that was a class on how to 
how the proper procedure of removing the $20 out of that suitcase. And in there, it talked about some of the things that might exist in there. One being a six foot diamondback rattlesnake and that it itself, because it wasn't real, couldn't hurt you. It could cause you to hurt yourself. And, and so, you know, the point was, is that uh, there's almost a need, uh, as I said, while ago to, to, uh, to know what you don't know, at least, uh, you know, the, the day of the, of the confident technician, one would swagger that thinks they can walk in and fix everything and figure everything out uh, uh, is gone. And they need to understand there's just some things they can't tear into until they understand what they're doing. And I think that really applies. And, and it just made me think of that old presentation. I had so much fun with that. <laughs> I think as well, Carm, that one of the things that uh, all of this points to is a lack of process in most shops. Uh, you go to the OE dealer and, and there's more process there because they're focused on one uh, methodology if they're a one single make. So Toyota has their processes, they have their tool, the tool drives that process with respect to the technician and the way it's integrated with TIS uh, and other tools. Uh, but in the aftermarket, and Bill can attest to this, uh, it's, it's you know, throw, throw everything out the door. Uh, you walk in as a tech, your onboarding is, there's your bay, there's where you park your tools, there's where you go get a ticket, good luck. And, and so to use just-in-time training and the, and the technology resources and service support resources that are being provided to the aftermarket by the OEMs and outside uh, resources uh, in the aftermarket, the only way we can do that is to implement process in our shops to, to uh, take advantage of it. And the one person we haven't talked about yet is a service advisor who has to fully understand what this is all about, what the processes are, and better yet, understand the capabilities of every one of his production agents in the back to be able to pull off that work. So that brings triage back up. If, if we aren't able to triage or, or point that vehicle to the right person, and triage is nothing new, even in the automotive sector. When I worked for Burt Toyota back in the in the late 70s, early 80s in Denver, Colorado, um, Norm Barr was, uh, I, I hope he's still alive. He was one of my favorite people. He was the dispatcher. He was spectacular at triaging the job just based on the repair order and putting it in the hands of the right person. Now, I complained because I got some jobs that I had never seen before, but I was the guy that would solve the problems. But that's what made that shop productive. We need, to, we need to implement that in all shops today in a way that allows a service advisor who comes off the street after flipping burgers or selling bread or potato chips and is now asked to sell service, give them the skill set to understand who to give the job to and how to set those expectations with the customer uh, with respect to the amount of time it takes because of the research that needs to go on and the just-in-time training that needs to be accessed so that we can do that job right the first time. Well, since Chris brought up the service advisor, I mean, if you think about it, there's probably not any other position in our industry that you could apply just-in-time training to more than the service advisor. Because how many often do we hear the story about someone who was just there to help, maybe somebody that did you know, office work and started answering the phone because the phone was ringing and without any, any training, any, anybody giving them any guidance or mentoring or anything, they just developed into someone. There's your perfect example of just in time training that's happening on the service counter every day in shops across America. Donnie, what kind of training for service advisors, and maybe all of you can answer this, to, that, that's going on with core fundamentals? Are we just doing sales skills or are we, are we working on core fundamentals? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because when we wrote the ASE service consultant test, um, I was one of only two on the whole panel that actually had a technical background. And I would write these, these questions and they say, well, that's too hard. And they were what I thought were pretty simple. Do you understand how a ball joint functions? Do you understand how brakes slow vehicles down? You know, those sorts of things. And they said, well, why does a service advisor need to know that? All they need to know is how to sell. 
to run the shop? That was my answer. So that's, I think, one of the big challenges is getting that kind of training. And, and a lot of the programs, the VOTEC programs, are great for um, a potential service advisor, run through the, you know, the, the primary or uh, part of the program the first couple of years, and you've got some really solid skills. You've taken a few things apart. You know how they work. Now apply the soft skills to that, and you've got a lethal service advisor. A question came in on the Zoom platform. If you had to guess, gentlemen, what percentage of shops are service ready for the vehicles that they service? Oh, I would say as a teacher, and Chris can probably jump in on that too, that's a very low number. Um, there, there are. I'm involved in a couple of groups where shop owners all talk to each other, and the number of tools that, I mean, just if we're talking tools, that are core necessities to work on a brand that people are trying to borrow. And they don't know that because clearly they haven't performed the task. Okay. That's fair, but they don't know that because they haven't even looked before they agreed to take the car on <laughs> that number scary high. Gary key says 10%. Carm, I would, I would uh, agree. If, if you consider the, the number of shops that uh, don't have an OE scan tool, that don't go to training. I mean, we see the same people in the in the classroom all the time. We see the same people at the conferences all the time. Uh, that number is sub 10% easily. Uh, but if you define service readiness the way Mark has defined it in the past, and that is being prepared to service a vehicle before it shows up at your bay, I would say that number is below 5%. Uh, now I'm excluding the, the OEM dealers because they're challenged with it on a daily basis. They're, they're laser focused on it, but their, their window of, of need is much narrower than a general service repair facility. Uh, so if you, if you take into account the, uh, import specialists, they're probably more service ready than a general repair shop, but w- would you ever be service ready to that definition? Probably not. But you, if you had core skills, you can be ready to learn just in time when those vehicles show up. And that's really the goal. Fascinating what you just said. And I ask this question a lot to a lot of panels and and a lot of friends in the industry about specialization. You know, we we see the Euro shops, the Asian shops, and what's going on with the general repair shop and how, how big do you have to get to have specialists? But that would, you know, a platform specialist technician would go a long way to solve this problem. I think uh, to the point where in the future we're going to be disciplined uh, technicians. We're going to be not a Ford or a GM or a Toyota specialist. We'll be a data network specialist. Uh, We'll be an electrified vehicle specialist. We'll be a three-phased AC motor generator specialist. Uh, You know, those types of disciplines are going to be uh, really foundational to the future of the industry. Stacy Diaz said, I have been a service advisor for over, for over 30 years. This came in from the Zoom platform. And do not work on cars. It should not be a requirement to work on cars. Well, I don't, I, I don't think anybody suggests it be a requirement, but I think awareness is critically important. Mm-hmm. I, I'll use that uh, just a use case internally, uh, Carm, and I don't want to turn this into a, a commercial, but we have thousands, tens of thousands of, of shop owners out there using virtual vehicle, which is an animation tool to, to help communicate with the with the customer. And, and one of the biggest values that shops see from that is not the communication with a customer. It's the enabling of the service advisor with understanding the technology they're trying to sell or the services that they're trying to sell through simple videos or narrations of, a, of an animated video. And so she's right. You don't need to be a tech to sell service, but it helps when you are saying the right things in context with what you're trying to, to uh, offer your customer. I had a great, great discussion with um, the trained by tech guys at Vision and that episode released today. It is so worth everyone's listen and we were really digging into the level of professionalism in the industry. And, you know, these guys says, well, you know, and it was Fonzel who one day said, you'll really know if there's a professional technician because 
you know, he takes his work home and he studies and he does everything that he possibly can. And these guys were saying they would take a they would take a challenge home at night and work through their network at two o'clock in the morning, maybe possibly figure it out. And they were so deep in it, Donnie, it goes to your whole idea of, you know, almost, you know, pulling yourself forward eight hours before you jump into the job and, and immerse yourself in, in into the problem or into the situation. And the the whole point of this group was we're professionals. We know it. We we act it every day. This this is what we do. And and it, it was refreshing to hear from that semi young group of guys who had one heck of a great episode for us. I wrote down a bunch of things that I, I would almost like to summarize and either have you take exception w- with this or not. Um, I wrote down fundamentals and core skills. I, I wrote down research. I wrote down resume building. I wrote down service support tools, Mark. I wrote down processes and triage and the service advisor's engagement and understanding our own capabilities of our team and anticipation almost being the visionary of the workload for the shop. Uh, queuing up resources. God, I, that's a great soundbite right there. That is just, it almost, it's, you know, it gives you a chance to really describe some really big things. And then I wrote this word called anticipation down. And that was one of my, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as you guys were talking about how are we going to be able to work on that next challenge in anticipating it. And you know how many times we think about things the day before we're about ready to do something and then when we start doing it, we feel so much more in the zone because we've had a chance to work the gray cells? Ever happened to you, Donnie? Well, Don, you you hit on one one of the key things you've got to think about that it's not really just in time, but it is just in time. And that's, is my scan tool updated? Do I already have the subscription set up that I'm going to need? When was the last time I dusted off that tool and charged it up? Um, Because I haven't used that recently. And the amount of time you can burn, you know, my guys will come up and say, I need whatever OE tool. And it needs a huge update. And so from my point of view, if I'm there and I'm watching the schedule, that's my fault for not doing it because I'm tool support. And I should have had that thing all ready to roll for them when they got in there and had the conversation about, well, there's this new update and things are going to be different. And uh, when you connect to the VCI, that's going to be different. And uh, so it's nice to have somebody in the shop that's taking that role. And maybe to Bill's point uh, earlier, that's also the person who can interface with the advisor and, and help with some of this stuff. So it, we had an advisor for a time that did not understand what our techs could and could not do and would throw things at a tech that was completely out of their wheelhouse. And then you had to scramble all morning, shuffling around who was doing triage and uh, is this a good uh, learning opportunity or are we just wasting time? And, you know, so what a mess when, when you, but when you've got an advisor, a manager like we currently have who just knows everybody's skills inside and out, you don't have that scheduling mess anymore. I got it. Thank you so much for that, Donnie. Um, This was interesting. What a great panel. I thank you so much for investing some time with us to pay it forward for the industry. I want to go around the room and give give each of you a chance to put a bow tie around this discussion. Uh, I think we went into some great ways. There was a lot of fabulous discussion both on Facebook as as Patrick Egan was sending me some of the Facebook stuff and what really happened up on Zoom. It's it's great to have an audience that's engaged in in our situation. So, and put a bow tie around this, Jeff. For me and and some of the experiences that I've had and some of the research I've been involved with, this really does speak to uh, a a greater issue around the culture of the business. And you guys know I've talked quite a bit about learning culture, which which is really simple. It is out loud uh, and uh, talking about an expectation to learn. And that is something that's ongoing, it's expected, and everyone in the business expects it, uh, as well as the sharing of knowledge is expected. And those are two really simple things, but uh, you would be surprised how many times that doesn't happen. And so whether it's just in time or whether it is uh, just a a general culture of learning makes a big difference. The shops that are embracing that and taking the time to understand it are the ones that are being really successful. Hey, it's your first time on an academy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Thanks for being here. <laughs> uh, enjoyed hanging out. Can I do a commercial? 
Sure, absolutely. All right. <laughs> so Jeff has approved six of the Town Hall Academy podcasts for AMI elective credit. And we just put them up on the website uh, a few weeks ago. And so is, is your, if you're learning to continue your accreditation, you need six credit hours a year now to keep it up. Uh, and or you're going for your uh, all the different accreditations that AMI offers, uh, we'll have we'll start putting more Town Hall Academy uh, episodes up there for elective credit. Thank you for for that. Mm, thank you. And uh, who knows? Maybe this one will be there. Maybe there's something to learn here. <laughs> <sighs> Great, Bill Haas. Well, I th- I think for me, I think the takeaway for people should be that this has to be ingrained in your business and it has to be about your process and the process has to manage all of this to meet the customer's expectations. So starting from, are we taking in the right cars? Are we, you know, do we have the talent, the tools, equipment, and resources to be able to work on that particular vehicle? And then how do we manage that entire process to deliver something that the customer will be satisfied. We at a minimum meet their expectations, hopefully exceed their expectations, but, but just start looking at your process. Does, does taking these cars in and the people that we have to do the work, does it turn into sort of a catastrophe every day? And we're spending all day putting out these little fires that are popping up. That's process. And so if we can, you know, start to find those points of pain and address those points of pain, the process will take over. It's going to be better for everybody. Technicians will be happier. That goes to our culture. People want to be part of a happy place, right? The business will function much better up front. People won't be nagging at each other or, you know, throwing daggers at each other. And the business becomes profitable and the customers go out and talk about what a great experience they had because I took it to a place that was capable of doing what needed to be done as it should be. It's, it's about process. Figure out the process and implement process in your business that makes all of this come together. Good advice, Bill. Thank you very much. Mark, uh, thanks for coming on. You're a first-timer for, with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I got a couple of things that I'd like to uh, – to wrap this up with. And, and the first is uh, I think that any professional shop needs to aspire to be service ready. Uh, and we'll narrow that down to service ready on uh, the things that you work on, you know, the, the things that you spend the most time working on, um, and the first step in service readiness is having technicians on board uh, who already have the fundamentals in the areas that they're expected to work. Um, the other thing is I, I really think that the industry needs a model for technician development uh, to ensure that when you identify uh, somebody that you want to hire, you know that they have those core competencies uh, and you know that they've got the fundamentals in the areas that you're planning to hire them for, uh, and that's what the Road to Great Technicians is all about. Well, I got you here. Is there any news on the Road to Great Technicians at all that we, we should know about, guys? <laughs> when, when, is, when is there a time that we can get together and talk about that? We, um, we are very close to being able to show you a framework that we are going to give to the industry to hang their training and their opinions on. Um, it, it's close. By the way, everyone, episode 312 uh, was the NASTAF, the Road to Great Technicians podcast from Vision with Donnie, with Chris and Jill Saunders. And you got to listen to that one. It was so good. And if, if you like what you heard today, uh, that'll be your bookend or that'll be the anchor for stuff to come. Chris, I'll let you have the last word. Well, that's a pretty scary term. So, uh, number one, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, just-in-time training really has a place in the industry if it's applied appropriately. Uh, so, as Bill alluded to, process is the name of the game. And, and the one thing that we do poorly in the aftermarket is onboarding or setting expectations for our people in the industry. So, process is a part of that. But 
anybody that's new that comes in into the front door and, and goes to work for the shop owners that are on the call or that listen to this need to have a process to, to onboard their people, to set expectations or set standards of performance for their people so that the resources that they're provided are used effectively and appropriately. They shouldn't be relying on a silver bullet database to repair vehicles. They shouldn't be relying on a, a resource of public opinion to guide them in their diagnostics. They should be relying on those resources with the experience and the education uh, that is provided through foundation skills, uh, through vocational education or ongoing training from organizations that this industry uh, that tends to support at a lower level than they should. Jeff uh, said it well right at the beginning. Uh, the, the fear of those of us uh, that talk about just-in-time training is don't make it a just, a, just an excuse to not go to training uh, because you can get everything you need right at, right at your fingertips. You need to know the, the details of some of the things you've never seen before at your fingertips, but you need to have the understanding and the, and the knowledge and the expertise to know when to apply them. And so as, as we're building out this road to great technicians model, one of the things that, and I look at the screen, four of the eight or nine people or 10 people that are on the, the education team that are putting this together are on this call. So Bill and Mark and Donnie and myself uh, uh, were committed to making sure that we create a process that curriculum providers across the industry can hang their curriculum on but at the end of the day, as Mark will put it, a technician that works for Joe's Garage that wants to go to work for Toyota or vice versa, those service managers can look at their training and say, that guy knows exactly what I need him to know to do the job that I'm hiring him for. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where he got that education. So thanks for the opportunity, Carm. Great rap, Chris. Really great rap. Chris Chesney, Donnie Seifer, Mark Saxenberg, Bill Haas, Jeff Peavy. Thumbs up, guys. Great job. Thanks. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 